Hey everybody, please remember to like, subscribe, and share. Thank you very much. Our Chris Peaks here today with Chris Severe, who is a litigation attorney, um, I guess battling uh, the cultural war that's going on right now. Um, I'm just going to let you go ahead and tell a little bit about the group so I don't butcher it right here. Yeah, yeah. No, we have a group that's called Special Forces of Liberty. When we file a lawsuit, we're proceeding under what's called de facto attorneys general. We typically do the job of the Republican attorney generals in cases and controversies that might be too politically hot for them to get involved in. For example, we might sue a public library for hosting Dry Queen story time. We might sue Mayor Bowser for displaying the Black Lives Matter banner on 16th Street. We might sue Joe Biden's attorney general for uh, to challenge the constitutionality of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Or we might take on groups like Apple, fa Facebook, Twitter, in, in related to human trafficking or matters or issues dealing with trying to protect children online. And from the litigation that we file, we write bills for all 50 states, including the state of Alabama. And we write them in a way to where we know that if they're enacted, they will not be struck down and they actually will accomplish what they're trying to set out to do, if you will. They have very robust enforcement mechanisms. So we have a website at specialforcesofliberty.com and on that website under legislation by state are right now seven bills that deal with all most of the main cultural war issues and if a, someone listening would go to the website and check out the bills if they would download those bills and send them to members especially of the house judiciary senate judiciary house education senate senate education committees and just simply say hey i live in the state in the state like the state of alabama for example and i want these these laws to become uh, these bills to become laws in our state it would go a long long way and bills are all about like well go ahead Adam. Go ahead. oh so i was kind of like a opposite of the aclu then so to speak right one thousand percent we are the mirror i say that all the time when i meet with state representatives i go we are the mirror opposite of the aclu but here's the difference with the distinction we don't care about credit we don't care about donations we don't care about glory we just want the state legislature and the governor to sign bills that will really stop the left a lot of times there's a lot of pro-family groups that are very well intended, but they have no idea about things like stare decisis, the doctrine of preemption, or really how to craft laws, especially in areas where the Supreme Court is weighed into, where if they're enacted, they're actually going to not be struck down. And so that's where we come in. We really come in with pure intentions to say, you know, to, to ask the guys to please enact these measures that will really stop down a lot of abusive stuff that the left has created through a lot of dishonest litigation, really. How long has your group been, uh, how long has this been formed? Really since 2017, we've been working with the state legislatures. The first state rep I ever worked with was Jack Williams from the state of Alabama. He's now back as a senator. And uh, I'd filed all these lawsuits against Google and Apple to try to get them to modify their products to protect children online uh, and to reduce the demand for human trafficking by blocking human trafficking websites. And I took it to Jack first, Senator Williams, I should say. And, and said, man, what do you think of this? And he goes, this is great, but you're gonna have to write a bill out of all this litigation yourself. And so so I said, <laughs> in that time to like figure out, you know, how to do it. legislation 101 and you know, really got in the hang of it now that it's 2022 and we're still going state to state. We, you know, we finally have really got it down. And it's not one area we work on. We have a bill called the Stop, with Stop Woke Act, which is the way to get rid of CRT in public school. The way we invoke Supreme Court precedent like Torcaso versus Watkins, the way we frame CRT 
uh, as religious ideology, the way we weaponize taxpayer standing doctrine, the way we weaponize logical nexus doctrine, that language that we have is not shallow. It really will survive judicial review and solve the problem. We have another bill called um, the SMAC Act, the Social Media Accountable Censorship Act. About 26 states have run a variation of this. Last year, we were calling it the Stop Social Media Censorship Act. But after having hearings in Missouri, Louisiana, Maine, and so forth, we modify the language so we now know it's absolutely perfect. So if the states will in, in, introduce and enact that, it will absolutely survive judicial review and stop social media censorship. We have a bill called the School Establishment Clause Act. It's called SECA. And that is the bill that will get rid of boys participating in girls' sports, transgender bathroom policies, it will get rid of LGBTQ indoctrination in public schools. Bills like the Fairness of Women's Sports Act, they're well intended, but they have, they, they're completely preempted under decisions like Bostick, Windsor, and Obergefell. And the people that came up with that, you know, they don't understand, they, they're not litigators. They don't, they don't really have an experience really what the doctrine of preemption is and what stare decisis is and how to get around it. So that's why we're coming to the state legislatures to say, we're not here to take your job. We're not here to just boss you around. We're here to provide you with weapons, pieces of paper with words on them, that if you will introduce and enact this, you will solve the problem to protect your constituents. And Jim, the, oh, you go, you go ahead, sorry. That doctor of preemption, I'm not sure I'm familiar with that. Okay, so, so yeah, this is, and, and by the way, most people aren't, and most legislatures aren't. And you know, I, I'll go meet with a rep and I'll say, you know, Senator so-and-so, what do you do for a living? And they might say they're a farmer, they're a funeral director, they're a business owner. Okay, I know nothing about that stuff, okay? But I do know stuff about litigation on First Amendment topics. And then also, um, I'll tell you this, lawyers know just enough to be dangerous on any topic unless they personally litigated it exhaustively, not in state court, but in federal court, okay? So I just wanna say that. And then, um, so the doctrine of preemption, this, this is how this works. And most, this is very quickly. The, the controlling authority in the country is the United States Constitution. That's the highest level of authority. Beneath that, you have the federal government, which is three branches, the Supreme Court, I mean, the court, the judicial branch, the, the president, the executive branch, and the federal Congress. Okay, so anything that, and then below that, you have the state constitution and the three branches of the state government, the governors, the executive, the state legislature, the House and Senate, and the judiciary, judicial branch, which goes up to the, you know, the Supreme Court. If anything that the federal government or the state government does, any action or policy they take that conflicts with the federal constitution, then it's it's unlawful. Okay. However, anything, any law that the federal government makes that conflicts with a state law, the federal law wins out. That's called the doctrine of preemption. The group okay. that's supposed to make federal law is the list federal, the, the Congress, the Senate, and the, and the House. However. The executive branch does make law through the bureaucracies and executive orders and so forth. And then the Supreme Court makes law, the federal Supreme Court, by interpreting the law, which then creates the law. So most of the social issues, the left has weaponized what's called the 14th Amendment, especially the Equal Protection Substantive Due Process Clauses. And they have tw twisted that and misused it to get the court to make rulings that has made bad law. But then the state legislatures, there's ways to get around it, but they can persistently do not frame the issues correctly. And so we're here to help them frame it so where you can have Trump appointees, you know, legitimately get rid of a lot of this bad precedent, if you will. It's basically all we're doing. It's kind of like cracking a code. That's what it's like. It's like speaking another language. But this stuff is real. These federal laws are real. These doctrines are real. 
And uh, so we're here to help the members get from A to B, if you will. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it makes total sense. Hey, um, first uh, off about human trafficking. Yeah, I hear that often, but I never really thought about it. How, how big is a problem that, I mean, is this something that goes on that we just don't really know about or we don't hear, pay attention to enough? Well, it's always shifting and always, it's always shifting and changing and modifying. It's just like pornography too, or obscenity as well. It's all just this, this big cabal of like unhealthy practices that lead to all these kind of secondary harmful effects. In terms of the United States, human trafficking is there, but it's prostitution is, is more prevalent, but there's a fine line between the two. I mean, prostitution can very easily turn into human trafficking quickly. Sure. And uh, what I had the opportunity to work with special forces and FBI on extractions for, for a bit. I was training to do some of those missions after I came back from Iraq. And I, but in doing the training, I really came to terms with the fact that we can't prosecute our way out of that problem. What we really need to do, the, the, while we have an explosion in human trafficking, is it's because of the internet, because of these websites that facilitate it. And while we say that, you know, the members of the legislative branch that sex trafficking is gone from the street corner to the smartphone. So the legislation we have that I think Representative Woods from Alabama might be running this session uh, is called SOCA, the Save Our Children Act. And it's a bill that it regulates internet-enabled devices, retailers of internet-enabled devices, and tells them that when they sell their their laptop, cell phones, and is you know the ISP services to their consumers, that those retailers are going to be required to sell their products with a filter that blocks by default websites that are known to facilitate human trafficking and prostitution, and websites that display X-rated material that would be injurious to children. And if the consumer is an adult and they want to have access to adult content like that, they can. They have to show proof of ID to the retailer. We're giving the retailer permission to charge their own separate filter deactivation fee for profit. And the internet will be just like it is right now. So here, here's an example of why I can take a bill like that to the state reps and say, you need to run our version because well, I would have talking points in the bill, like Ashcroft versus the ACOU, which was the Supreme Court decision where the federal Supreme Court struck down Congress's law called the Communications Decency Act, another one's called the Child Online Privacy Protection Act. That was the federal Congress's attempt to deal with, you know, X-rated websites online that were hurting children. And in that in, in that decision, the Supreme Court, while they struck down a federal law, told the they literally said the legislative branch may undoubtedly act to encourage the use of filters and encourage parents to use filters and the tech companies to develop fil better filter technology. So that's the that's the Supreme Court informing the legislative branch that if you want to solve this problem, you need to have filter legislation that's narrowly tailored. And so, you know, we would then we've been put that to paper to take it to the to the legislature say the Supreme Court is saying that this is good to go in this case. And here's one other example of you know why litigation helps if you're going to really try to win these different fights. We cite a case called Ginsburg versus New York, and that was a Supreme Court, federal Supreme Court decision where they upheld what's called the display statute. The display statute is a statute that says if you have a gas station or a, you know, 7-Eleven or something, you can you can sell Playboys and Hustlers, but the retailer, the gas station is required to put the X-rated material behind a blinder rack, a filter that can only be removed if the consumer is an adult, they show proof of ID and they pay for it. Now, after that's been litigated exhaustively, the Supreme Court found that 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 statute, that state statute would survive what's called First Amendment heightened scrutiny is the least restrictive means. And so what does all that mean? It's all this tricky language and this tricky maneuvering. To get something to work, you really want to solve a problem, you have to thread these different needles. Though. You have to be able to invoke that authority. 
And so that's what we do. And we try to make it as simple as possible. A lot of our bills, we have legislative findings at the beginning of them, which lays out the roadmap of all the authority that we're relying on. It's basically the talking points. is the thing that the attorney general can seek their teeth in to def defend the bill. And then below that, you have the actual language. And so, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you mentioned a while ago, uh, drag queen story time. I remember when that first popped up. Why is that being pushed on kindergartners? I mean, we, we, we frame LGBTQ matters as a matter of religion. All the arguments we ever make, you know, we're in court and so forth, we're like, Your Honor, we're not here to prove or disprove whether or not a gay gene exists, even though we have testimonials from thousands of ex-gays and hundreds of former transvestites. We're not here to prove or disprove it. We're saying it's not proven, therefore it's a matter of religion. And because it's a matter of religion, two things automatically get invoked. The Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, as well as the Free Exercise Clause. The Establishment Clause is the part of the Constitution that says separation in church and state. The government cannot act to establish a national religion. And the Free Exercise Clause is to say, it doesn't matter how dumb a religion is, people have the right to believe in it. However, the practices can be regulated if they promote licentiousness, which LGBTQ stuff does, or if it's an attempt to justify practices that are inconsistent with the peace and safety of the state. So what we do in all our cases is we say that LGBT ideology homosexuality, sexual orientation, gender identity, it's a doctrine, it's a dogma, it's a worldview that's inseparably linked to what's called the religion of secular humanism. The Supreme Court of the United States found in case starting in Torcaso versus Watkins, that secular humanism is a religion for the purpose of the First Amendment. So once again, because it's basically a series of unproven faith-based assumptions and naked assertions that are implicitly religious and inseparably linked to that worldview, that has you know an ultimate concern, they're organized, they have their own, instead of having the cross or the Ten Commandments, they have the rainbow-colored flag and so forth. They have their own incantations and rules and so forth, which they can have, but the government cannot endorse it. So we'll be in court and I'm like, judge, listen, they can have drag queen story time at the Starbucks or at someone's house, just like, but they can't have it at the public library at the taxpayer's expense. Just like we can't, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't want us to have Christian Bible study for children in the public library either. And so when you formulate something as religion, which it is, that what that does is it's the one area of the law that allows taxpayers to file suit where they have standing under what's called taxpayer doctrine to be able to sue where they can you know we put in all our bills that they can recover attorney's fees so the christian lawyers would have to actually represent them and they could uh they can get injunctive relief so i mean we've we're, we've been larding the court record with all kinds of lawsuits on this we've been suing congressmen who are democrats for displaying the gay pride flag in you know the, the halls uh, of congress in a way that's way too like you know it kind of creates the impression that the government's endorsing this in general instead of a personal endorsement or we've, we've got a lawsuit against hhs right now in federal district court in dc before this really good trump appointed judge very good solid guy and uh we're basically saying that hhs cannot force doctors to perform transgender surgery against their conscience because those policies are designed to promote the religion of secular humanism. They excessively entangle the government with religion of secular humanism. So when I go see state reps that, you know, they want to get rid of the LGBTQ stuff, everything I'm saying, it's like deer in headlights. They have no idea about any of this stuff. And so I'm looking at them going, here's the language, just get it drafted, just run it, just get it passed through. And if you do that, it will survive in court and you'll actually get rid of the problem. But they're good, so. This uh, LGBTQ, it seems like it's just become more and more broad because when I look at it, I don't really see trans as gay. That's like a whole different 
thing to me. I mean, people who are, you can't change your sex like you can't change your color. I mean, remember that girl that was head of the, like the head of the NAACP a couple of years ago, that, uh, or she was head of the NAACP, she she was black, uh, identified as being black. Mm-hmm. I, mean, well, I identify as a 65-year-old retired CEO, so, I mean, I should get a pension, right? Right. Yeah, so, so you mean, you can self-identification is... You know, we're always saying you have the right to self-identify as anything you want to, a chicken sandwich, you know, whatever you want. But the government cannot recognize or endorse it because for the government to recognize something that's that controversial, something that's that clearly unproven and more likely than not implausible is an, it is a violation of the principles of separation of church and state. I mean, the, the, the establishment clause of the First Amendment was never designed just to prohibit the government from respecting the doctrines of institutionalized religion like Christianity. It was designed, if not more so, to stop the government from embracing what amounts to the majority of the Democrat Party's platform, which is just this huge effort to entangle our government with a religious worldview that naturally produces feelings of shame and inadequacy in the hopes that those like the government's endorsement, that shame and inadequacy will go away, which it never does. And so... That's basically all it is. It's pretty absurd. And again, people can believe in it if they want to. I'm not, you know, I don't want to legislate morality in that. I, don't, I want people to freely choose the path they want to go down to. But I certainly don't want the left taking our government and coercively imposing their religious worldview on the rest of us, especially given the fact that it promotes licentiousness. It's self-evidently immoral and it produces, it's subversive to human flourishing, it's especially harmful to people that actually believe in it. So, you know. Afraid of this, where's it going to stop them? Are they going to fix incorporate pedophilia in this? Sure, I mean, yeah, oh, this is normal for them. Like, well, 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 where where does it end? There's a slippery slope of the heart that can take place very easily. For example, when we're fighting, you know, people look at us and they go, We like you fighting prostitution and human trafficking, but we don't like your uh, efforts to regulate pornography online. And I'm sitting there going, The majority of the Johns that we deal with who've been arrested for that crime. They started by like getting into pornography or something and then got to something more hardcore form and then started hiring prostitutes and then we're flying to Thailand and like doing things with children. So there's a slippery slope of the heart. So I'm, when I'm in court, a lot of times or I'm a, before hearing for chairman of a committee and I'm just in there going, look, there's some doors in life that are better left unopened and we should make it, well, the law should be crafted in a way to makes it harder to open the, discourages people from opening certain doors that would lead to conduct that would really hurt them and other people so it's you know so you're right there is with all that other licentious stuff i mean it just gets it's really the end result of the depraved mind and it can get really bad so it's the legislature has a duty to channel because i'm always saying you know sex is good god made it but sex is always about content and context and you know in the healthy context i would submit would be between a man and a woman in a committed relationship and the government should be used to get their citizens to channel their sexual energy in that format. And so that's all, you know? So that's basically what the laws do that we're working on. They basically try to get guys and girls to come together, to not do anything gay, to not hire a prostitute, to not abort their baby, to not, you know, to, to not let that couple get beat up because they think that abortion's wrong or something online, so forth. You know, so we have all the laws we have are designed to make it easier to cultivate intimacy between men and women. That's it. So yeah, the terms today, it seems like there's a new one that comes out every day. Uh, I remember the, when I first heard cis man, I thought I was being insulted. And they said, no, you identify as the gender you was born with. And I said, I didn't need a term to tell me that. And right. 
arguing with somebody and he said, uh, you don't know what it's like raising a gender fluid child. And I said, that, that's what I'm talking about right there. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and, right. uh, when, when did all this, uh, uh, this had uh, the last couple of years, all these terms just popped up like this? Well, it's, you know, basically starting in 1990. So basically the big fight that's been going on is, is America a Christian nation or are we a secular humanist nation? That's the fight. Okay. So I'm in court all the time going, your honor, the Supreme Court found in Holy Cross versus Trinity that America is a Christian nation. There you have it. They laid it out there. But then in 1992, Justice Kennedy in Planned Parenthood versus Casey said, at the heart of liberty is a man's ability to find his own meaning of the universe, which can be boiled down to the prince, which basically is saying we're a moral relativist, secular humanist, atheistic nation. And that whole principle can be boiled down to the idea that to each their own, which is what the sign of a Buchenwald concentration camp read. So clearly we're not that. But basically starting in, so you have Dred Scott case from the 1800s, which is a case that says black people are not human enough to be able to vote. That was a Democrat backed atheist, atheist in charge decision that was rendered. They weaponized the 14th Amendment, Equal Protection and Substantive Due Process Clause to come up with that terrible decision. And then in the 1970s, you had Roe versus Wade, same thing. The left weaponized the 14th Amendment, stretched it in ways it's not designed to be used, and, and, and got rid of anything trying to ban and regulate abortion at a time certain. And then in 2015, you have a Burgerfeld. Same weapon tactic, misusing the 14th Amendment, framing things in a way that's really religion, really governed by the First Amendment establishment clause, and regulating, creating some narrative under the wrong constitutional prescription. And so when the government in 2015 endorsed you know, the Burgerfeld, the gay marriage decision, it has opened the floodgates for all kinds of horrors to follow. You know, in the wake of Obergefell, there hasn't been a, a land rush on gay marriage. There's been a major, major land rush on Christian persecution. There has been a massive land rush on self, you know, self-identified homosexuals, self-identified uh, transvestites, and secular humanists to infiltrate elementary schools for the sole purpose of targeting children to indoctrinate them to that religious worldview with a government stamp of approval. And so it's, you know, it's really undermined the legitimacy of the judicial branch, I think. But the, the federal courts aren't the final say on the Constitution, as Justice Sotomayor re recently said in oral argument of Dobbs versus Jackson. So what we're doing is going to the state legislature with bills that craft these topics under the correct and co controlling constitutional prescription. And we've done it not for just Alabama, but for all 50 states. And so we're just going from state to state to state to meet with the members and we're asking the local public to please go to the website, download the language, email it to those members of the House and Senate and just say, hey, listen, I live here. I want you to run. I want you to take a look at this. I want you to run this. I want you to pass this bill in our state. So let me get your opinion on something. Um, um, the Democratic Party is what made me a conservative Republican because they're just so out of touch. What do you think's happened to them over the last 30 or 40 years? Because somebody like Bill Clinton today would be called a rhino. I mean, he wouldn't even get the Democratic Party. 100%. You know, I, you know, I deal with them. And I mean, I have tons of friends that are Democrats. You know, I'm, they can be fun. That's for sure. You know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, but and, you know, I, I just... A lot of them, when I deal, when I'm when I'm in a blue state like a Minnesota or somewhere, where the where, you know, or New Jersey, and I'll be sitting behind the scenes with them talking to them, I'm like, "What do you guys really want to do?" And basically, I mean, what, what, you've got the power. Congratulations. Now, what are you going to do with it? It's kind of like Biden's got the power on the federal level, right? They got Congress, and they have, and they have the presidency. 
And but what are they doing? A lot of times they really don't know what to do other than they're just like, well, we want more policies that will give us more power. I mean, that's <laughs> basically what drives them. And uh, another thing is I, I really think that they're very much like a cult. I mean, I think that they have this, they, you know, they, they are looking for purpose. They're looking for meaning and they really want to turn the government into their own private church, which they're not allowed to do. And, uh, you know, I, I do think there's hope that they could come back from the edge, you know, but it's almost like sometimes people have to come to their end. It's like an attic, right? They have to like hit rock bottom before they come out of it. But the best thing we can do is get Christian, conservative, non-rhinos elected to office. They can have discernment that would enact the kind of policies that groups like ours are making that are designed to restore the rule of law and promote human flourishing. That would kind of pull us back from the brink. I definitely think there's a lot of Democrats I work with who are totally sick of all the LGBTQ crap. They're totally sick of all the racism, you know, weaponizing racism and division. And, uh, but there's some that are just, I just think they're really not living in the same reality. <laughs> you know? Yeah, when you look back at, uh, you know, 2016 with Hillary Clinton, you know, she had to put down a rebellion, you know, in her own party. You know, she was the conservative wing of, you know, who would have thought, when you look at a lot of her policies, I mean, compared to the rest of the Democratic Party, she's almost <laughs> out of touch with all of them. I mean, the, they have no, uh, the, uh, what is it, what do they call them, um, progressives wing of the party? They're, they're taking over, and, and they're going to be, to me, so out of touch with mainstream America, hopefully they'll be done for a while. Um, well, my, my thing about the progressives is that they're willing to fight for something. That's for sure. They're not squish. They believe in something, then they're going 150 miles an hour in that direction. And people like to see that kind of leadership. However, the direction they're going in is asinine and disastrous. It's really absurd in every way. But what we need on our side is Republican Christian types that will fight in the other way and really be willing to fight. You know, I look at a lot of these guys and I'm like, don't think you're going to be here forever. I can't tell you how many state reps and senators that I was working with from 2017 to now that are dead or that have, you know, something happened and they're gone, you know? And so I'm just sitting there going, while you have the power for Christ's sakes, we need to use it to stop a lot of this leftist stuff from going on because, you know, they're coming for you, basically, as Trump would say, you know, he's the thing standing in between them. And, you know, we have the weapons to, to stop, to shut a lot of them down. And so what we need, we need responsiveness and we need uh, people, you know, um, to get involved. And so, yeah, it's, it takes, you know, it takes a whole, takes a lot of different elements coming together to really stop it. But really people just moving out in faith to try to do good can go a long way. Well, great, Chris. Uh, that's, all, that's all the questions I've got for you with that. Is there anything else you want to add to it? Um... I mean, the, big, the biggest thing is, you know, I'm just a Christian who's operating in, in, in a, an area of expertise that I know, which is I just was trained to do law. And from litigation, we do have bills on all the culture war topics. Well, there's at least seven. We'll have another round of seven probably by 20, 2024. But we just, I just ask anyone listening to this to go to specialforcesliberty.com, go under to their, under legislation by their state, download the bills. I want them to read it themselves the best they can. See if they can make their way through it. There's some videos we have that kind of explain the spirit of the bills, try to break it down so it's more simple to understand. But if they would do that, and if they like it, if they would take the proactive proactive step of reaching out to their state representatives, their state Senate members, 
especially on the judiciary or a house or, or education committees, but it could be any of them really. If they would just email them to them and ask them to say, listen, I live in this state, I vote in this state, I want you to pass these bills. If they would just do that, then those guys have legal counsel and some advisors that can look at it and they might come back and say, absolutely, that would be great. Because, you know, our team doing this, you know, we only can live in and vote in one state. And although we're working all over the place, it's very meaningful if it's coming from people in the individual states, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And you said y'all were doing this in all 50 states. So uh, we are. how hard is it? Uh, kind of, well, maybe this, uh, like going into Massachusetts and uh, Washington and uh, Oregon, um, filing these lawsuits. Well, so so we had Representative Leaf in Oregon who was carrying a bunch of things for us, but he got he died of a, he died of cancer this year. We have oh, wow. Representative Clippard, a former state trooper. He's a state trooper actually, and he's a colonel in the military, and he'll he'll carry my you know, he's carried some stuff for us, especially to on abortion funding issues in, in Washington. Massachusetts is a total nightmare, but we have states like Rhode Island, for example, where we have Representative Price, former Marine, and I've asked Price will probably carry all seven bills. Or we have someone like in Maine, we have Representative Heidi Sampson. She's great. I think she carried five things for us last year. So we have people in those states that are willing to fight. And basically, the thing is, is the, the guys in the, this is this is probably good for you to hear. The people from Alabama understand this. In the blue states, like where you have a state like Hawaii or Rhode Island, let's take Rhode Island, where they have nine Republicans total in the House. That's it. Okay. The rest are all blue. All right. Those Republicans love the bills that we have because they weaponize the federal constitution and tell the, the state legislature, their fellow colleagues, it doesn't matter that the other side has power. They need to you know, pass the bills that we're presenting because it's what the federal constitution requires. And it's framed right and everything's right. But of course, the blue guys up there just say, well, we don't care what the Constitution says. We're just going to continue to ignore it. We'll take the same bills to Alabama, Mississippi and Arkansas, where we have a supermajority of red. But because the bills are complex, they're not just really simple and short and everything. They continually in the red states run these very simple and short bills that, number one, are unconstitutional. Number two, they really don't have robust enforcement mechanisms. So at least when I get the blue states to just run the bills, I can go screaming back to Alabama and say, for Christ's sakes, we need you guys to run the bills like they're doing in the blue states. And so it's helpful to have you know as many states as possible pushing the measures because they do simply reflect what the federal and state constitutions for the state require. So, yeah. Thanks a lot, Chris. I'll get this posted and get an article up soon, man. All right, man. Good talk with you. Okay, thanks, man. This was, um, I don't really...